0: Hi, I'm Eliana Yolkut. And I'm Tova Lipovic-Douglas. We are two rabbis. And two mothers. Here to talk finding wisdom in work, parenthood, smashing the patriarchy, and the juggle of the everyday.
1: The Torah we carry in our pockets at home and in the world. Welcome to Not Your Jewish Mother. <laughs>
0: Welcome, welcome, Not Your Jewish Mother listeners. We're so glad to be here with you today. I am Eliani Olcott, and I'm coming to you from Washington, D.C. on a very, very rainy afternoon. Uh, I actually just got caught in the rain Toba, before we started recording. Oh, no. Yeah, it was like, kind of warm, so I was out to walk uh, with a friend, and I was like, oh, I don't need my fleece. I'm fine. And we got caught in a downpour, and I was soaking wet. I had no jacket or raincoat or umbrella, for that matter.
1: (laughs) Sounds like summer or something.
0: It's very weird weather here. It's very warm and oddly spring-like, which is always a little scary these days. And I am with Tova Vic who is coming to us from los angeles california where i bet it's not raining
1: hello it's not rainy, sunny as most of the time and cold by the way yeah i saw somebody
0: posted their picture of their kids going to school this morning from la on social media and they were in like winter coats and i was like wow is it really that cold it's kind of cold yeah i mean they live in the valley so maybe it's even colder there i don't know i feel like the swings there are a little higher yeah
1: yeah I mean it's like 63 degrees right now. Oh so like in the morning it was like probably in the high 40s or something it's probably yeah. cold
0: yeah um, well we're happy to be with you here today with a juicy conversation that we're gonna have a little bit later but before uh, we get on that um Tova uh, are you a seltzer drinker? Yeah, of course we've talked about it. okay if you have to pick a I'm just asking because I'm just what I'm just curious about like the vast options. if you have to pick a hot beverage and a cold beverage, to have for the rest of your life as the only two beverages, do not say
1: water, what would it be? Yeah, definitely soda water or, you know, like... Some sort of
0: sparkling. Do you, d- Is there a flavor that you like or...?
1: I, I still think lacra is a good go-to in the bubble. I like the bubble consistency of that one. The flavors are not always my favorite okay um, i really like spindrift flavors but i don't like the consistency of the bubbles of spindrift
0: okay so your cold beverage is either a, a spindrift or a La croix. i don't know if it's lacroix I, I don't know how to say. La croix.
1: Or, or like pellegrino you know like i mean you know like i'm not like very i'm not brand loyal no not at all okay okay and hot drink that's so hard it's like coffee, tea, tea, coffee, coffee, tea, tea, coffee. I'm going to go with tea. Okay. A, a particular type of tea? No. I mean, I like a lot of teas, you know, like, but it depends on the mood. What's a favorite? What's like a go-to I like for you? Robos a lot. I like green tea a lot. I like at night chamomile. Tea? I'm so surprised by that. I'm really surprised. Well, I mean, coffee is my thing. I feel but like, like you're like...
0: very feisty and like tea is, doesn't feel feisty to me.
1: <laughs> well, I, I need tea at night. Yeah, I like drink tea at night. Yeah, it calms. It's like a it's like a I don't know if it's a ritual, but it's routine, you know, like where I pour my like chamomile tea around 839 and I don't know, feels like calming to me.
0: Yeah. Does Austin drink tea?
1: He will occasionally drink tea, but that's not But like you don't you
0: don't you don't make coffee for the two of you. Like, I mean, you don't make tea for the two of you. It's like 839 and you make the tea and they'll take a little. No. Okay.
1: I'll ask him, do you want? And it's 99% of the time it's a no. I
0: also love tea very much. And I also drink it most nights, I would say. Mm-hmm, like probably, mm-hmm. you know, over 50% of nights. But I would au- definitely choose coffee for sure. Like it doesn't even, for me, it's not even a close, it's not even a close choice. And I love seltzer. I'm very addicted to seltzer. I drink, a term- I all, basically only drink seltzer. I don't drink any flat water almost. We have a seltzer maker because of that, because Stephanie was like, this is out of control. So I make seltzer at home, but I definitely have brand loyalty. At the synagogue, there's like a running joke about the rabbis and our seltzer addiction. Like our, our the, some of the administrative assistants buy us seltzer and they're like stocked in these mini fridges in different people's offices because we all are addicted to seltzer and we all have very strong feelings about the flavors and the brands and all of that. And so, uh, yes, seltzer for sure. But I will say I have like a holdover from my time when I used to drink soda, which is that when I'm like feeling down, I love to get a fountain Coke Zero from the, from the soda fountain, like at, you know, Wawa or 7 Eleven or whatever over ice. Mm -hmm. And it makes me feel so happy. I just love Coke Zero so much. And if it wasn't bad for me, I would drink it every day, but I don't, but I love it. And so it's like a Mm -hmm. treat. And I love to go to like get a fountain drink with ice in it. And I feel a lot of joy when I do that. So. Beverages are a thing. Have you and Adir discussed this in my family with Adir? Oh, yeah. I mean, beverages are You guys are a really thing. care
1: about yes. beverages.
0: Yeah, beverages are a very big part of our family. You,
1: I just, I discovered this summer, you might appreciate this, um, balsamic vinegar soda water. Have you heard about this? That's disgusting. No, no, it's like really good. <laughs>
0: That is so LA. There is hardly a thing you've said on this podcast in nearly three years of doing it that is more disgusting and more LA-esque than than balsamic vinegar soda water. It's really good. I literally want to vomit right now. Um, The minute we get off, I'm texting both Erin and Nadir and I'm going to make fun of you for that just so you know.
1: Well, listen, it's not like I do it regularly, but I did it like a couple times over the summer and it was really fun. And it's not you have to get particular balsamic vinegar. You have to get the sweet kind. Oh my God. I I, I can't even believe you're going on about this right now. <laughs> I probably know what to do with myself. Listen, do I love a good Coca-Cola? Not Coke Zero, by the way. What is that? If you're gonna get a fountain Coke, just like get a Coke. And I come, by the way, from a family of Coca-Cola. My. Papa used to work for the Coca Cola company. So we grew up with that kind of vibe. And like we would only have, like we were known in my family for only having the bottles of Coca Cola, not the cans. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah, it was a thing (laughs) in my family.
0: Yeah. Well, there's a lot of opinions in my family too about that, about like which has more carbonation bottles or cans. And
1: yeah, well, I think the bottles are better, but I don't drink it because it's bad. It's really bad for you. It's really bad. Yeah. Yeah, I gave it up. Although, except when I was pregnant, it was the only thing that stopped me throwing up. Coke, like straight Coke. Yeah, I know it was really bad. I
0: shouldn't admit that. No, 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 no. No, By the way, uh, me too. I had to drink. I didn't. It wasn't Coke for me. I drank mostly white sodas like ginger ale or Sprite because I couldn't stop vomiting. Yeah, those won't work.
1: Those won't work. But like Coca Cola stopped it, and I was like, okay. I was like in rabbinical school both times. I'm like, don't throw up all over the Talmud right now. Coca Cola. (laughs)
0: Drink (laughs) Coca -Cola. Cola. Like a commercial yeah. or something. Yeah. All right. Well, there we go. We have a lot of, <laughs> I could go on. I could have a whole episode about beverages just so we're clear. Great. I'm very crazy about it. And yeah, hearing people, people you make fun really of, have
1: passion. Yeah.
0: People make fun of me about it. And I get a lot of, I get a lot of slack around my life about, from friends and family about my obsession with just like high quality beverages. And it's hard for me to travel sometimes because. I'm not in control of my drinks, which is not good. For me. What do you
1: mean? Like, so you get on an airplane and you're like, oh, this brand of soda water that they've got well, to go with yeah, so like I I
0: it's I re- recently, unfortunately, I had to travel for a funeral and I hadn't been on an airplane mm. in a while. And I went on JetBlue, which is like a great airline. But yeah. like, I really was, there was like no way I was going to drink the coffee because it was dug in donuts, which I think is gross. Yeah, and so really like gross. I had, Yeah. So I had to drink seltzer. So that was the thing. And then what I really mean by it is like when Stephanie and I go places, like we'll stay in a hotel. And the hotel of coffee is horrific. Yeah, always. I can only go a couple of days before we have to go searching out a good coffee shop because I just can't suffer with bad coffee, like, for too many days. Oh, so I, suffering. I just, yeah, I'm, it is a suffering, yeah, it is. <laughs> a little, really is. like,
1: violin over here. Yes, playing. yeah,
0: exactly, exactly.
1: Okay, how about, you, how about you tell us a story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is a story from a long time ago, but I think it's kind of enlightening to children and what they see and how they are in the world. And I think it will lead us into our conversation today really well. Evie has a really close friend, my, my older child, and I was pregnant with her mom. Like We were pregnant at the same time. They were born a month apart from one another. They've grown up together and they also became big sisters just ar- around the same time. And during that, moment of haze of life, which I can't remember all the details. We did spend a lot of time together, you know, helping one another out with the older one and just sort of in the, we live pretty close. So like, just like in each other's daily orbit and the girls were playing together, the older girls, and they came out with their babies, like their own baby dolls, obviously. And her friend wanted to feed her baby and put the baby on her breast And Evie wanted to feed her baby and gave her baby a bottle. And it was this amazing moment because Evie was like, oh, you're breastfeeding. (laughs) to her friend Uh and her friend was like oh you're using a bottle and they just sort of like laughed and I, i my friend and i died of laughter because we were just like oh kids see what they see and also how amazing is it that they're processing this in this moment and so that's my story because it's cute and funny and sweet and um it goes with what we're talking about today yeah
0: Yeah. I like it. Yeah. It's also just sweet. I know we don't comment on the story, but like it's just sweet that they it just sort of didn't it didn't like I don't know, it was just like a notice a noticing as opposed to a totally.
1: Totally. That's why I loved it. Yeah. It was totally a noticing and a giggle and And it was great. It was just a great moment. So I think about that a lot. And we're talking about, in case you can't guess already, (laughs) we are talking about breastfeeding today, which is something that we've touched on, I think, over the years of doing this podcast, which is crazy to say years, Eliana, when I say that out loud. Yeah. But we've touched on it. And today we're going to like really focus on it. There was an article that came out in the New York Times... This was, I think it was in the summer at some point. Is that right? It was. June 27th, 2022. Yeah. By Katherine Pearson. And basically, it was reporting that the American Academy of Pediatrics issued a new statement that was extending the period of time for which breastfeeding is recommended to two years or more. And then also acknowledged in that statement that there are obstacles that obviously stand in parents' way to to make this work. There's a statement that says that, you know, societal changes will help support this, such as paid leave, more support for breastfeeding in public, childcare facilities, workplace support by Dr. Joan Meek. And there's a lot more in the article. Highly recommend reading it. It will be in the show notes. So in the article, it also reports that 4% of babies start out being breastfed and only 58% are breastfeeding at six months. 25% 25% are breastfed exclusively, 35% of babies are still breastfed at a year, and there's not really more data beyond that. The article reports that doctors will be encouraged to have non-judgmental conversations with families about breast- breastfeeding and their goals, and to also make sure that this is a gender-diverse uh, conversation. Things such as chest feeding should be said instead of breastfeeding, and it goes on and on and on. There's a lot more in the article. You can read it. And we wanted to talk about it today because, one, I I read it and I had a really, really strong reaction to it. But I want us to have a conversation about this topic, not specifically this article, but the idea of breastfeeding being—I don't think anyone's disputing the importance or the beauty or the— Scientific uh, data that breast milk is really the only word I could think of is gold, you know, I don't know what the word is, you know, right that it's that it's clearly been an important part of our world since the beginning, right? So I don't think any of us are disputing that in this conversation, where I had a really strong reaction, I felt like. Well, breastfeeding is really not simple for so many. And I, and I, not just counting myself in this conversation, and I can go into my own personal experience and story with breastfeeding, but really for many, many personal friends, clients, folks that I've worked with, like everything, it is not a simple thing, even for those that it is simple for. Let's just say there is enough paid time off, there is enough support, and there's enough breast milk, and there's enough of a latch and all the things that need to happen in order for it to happen, even with the setup being great, it is still a challenge for those that breastfeed. At at least it might be a beautiful thing, but it's also a challenge. So I found them extending it, regardless of what the science says, to be, uh, honestly, I thought of enslavement when I read it. I know that's a very strong statement, but that's that's what I felt when I read it. And- I think it's so interesting because there's so many things in the world that are really bad for you, right? Like we just talked about soda, (laughs) right? I guess there's recommendations out, but but we promote soda in ways in our commercial capitalistic society in crazy ways. So I just found myself... And by the way, I find myself apologizing to your mother, Eliana, as I'm talking out loud right now. I just She's, a, you know she's definitely
0: listening and she definitely will not like your. Re- I mean, that you're right. You don't I, need to apologize, need about, to, apologize like, to her. I love her so much. Her. I'm like,
1: so sorry, but this is how I feel. Anyway, so, so and my, mom,
0: my mom is a lactation, a nurse and a lactation consultant. <laughs> That's why Tova is.
1: And she's the best. But like, my goodness, my goodness. <laughs> Like my face is like, oh no, she's never gonna have me for Shabbat dinner again. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so anyway, but I just want to say I had a really strong reaction, and when I when I voice noted Eliana as we do, she was like, I had a completely different reaction. I'm like, okay, this is we're gonna this is gonna be a good podcast episode. So let's go. What, what did you feel when you re- when you read it? And we can get into our own personal story, but like the article itself or this new recommendation, what do you mm-hmm. think, feel, what what comes up for you? Where are you at with it?
0: I just, I think like what was, in, what was, what like really struck me now when you responded was like when you said the words, regardless of the science. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. to me, it's like shocking that we would disregard the science. In other words, there are clear recommendations actually about soda and it is a capitalist society. And the reason we're in the problem we're in with sugar is because people don't listen to the recommendations and the lobbies of sugar Are very powerful and similarly a very big reason why we're in the circumstance we're in in addition to all the things that you said you know workplace capacity to be able to breastfeed while you're at work and the like mounting issues around gender equity and all of those things but is because the formula lobby is incredibly powerful too and readily available and i did not find okay let me let me let me tell my story i i exclusively breastfed my children um, it was a tremendous amount of work. As you noted, it is a lot of work, whether, and I had a success, what I would call a successful and relatively easy experience breastfeeding. It wasn't that there weren't bumps along the way, but in general, I did not have a difficult time breastfeeding. Um, and it was a lot of work. There is to be sure the work falls on the breastfeeding parent um, whoever that person is, because we are obviously a double gen. We have a, you know, we have both are the same gender and I understand all of the things that you said. And the science to me is very, very clear. And I think it's an area of life that it's hard for me to kind of wrap my head around many people who talk in the way that you do about like sort of a strong reaction to, the recommendation because of the stumbling blocks. To me, there are like stumbling blocks to all sorts of things, but as parents and achieving it, like including sugar, I think is actually a pretty good example. But I feel like this is an area where we do disregard science and say this is too hard or there are too many stumbling blocks and formula is fine. And it is fine. And obviously babies can be nourished by non-human milk to be sure, but the data is not it's not vague. There's no vagary in the data. It is very clear that breast milk is a better option for the health of the baby. And there's at least some data that it's good for mom and healing and all of that stuff too, while also recognizing what you said, which is that the burden falls on the person that's breastfeeding. Like It is a burden to do it in the sense that the time and energy and work that goes into making the breastfeeding experience possible or successful for people it takes a lot and as you said it is not easy it is a skill and like any skill it requires practice my mom the lactation consultant often gives a metaphor of an instrument it's like learning an instrument the baby is learning and the mom is learning and it requires a lot of extended effort and to me this extended effort is of value because of what the milk gives the baby in the long-term health benefits that it provides. And that to, to me that is the like argument to be made even with all of the challenges that it can present given that we live in a society that essentially and I don't disagree with you on this point doesn't support breastfeeding. Like we live in a in a culture that really doesn't support it. And so it puts women in a terrible position for this exact reason for the intersection between what the science tells us and what society has constructed. And to me, the problem isn't the breastfeeding and the American Academy of Pediatrics recommending longer breastfeeding and the benefits that that allows for. The problem is we should be working on making society a better fit for that, not like bad on the American Academy of Pediatrics. I think like bad on American culture that we don't support women who breastfeed. And that to me, like, I don't have any problem with the American Academy of Pediatrics telling us, because that's what they're supposed to do. They're a scientific organization the science supports this just like the science supports vaccinations for example of children from these s- certain diseases and s- we are supposed to vaccinate our kids like that the data is clear on that so right that, like, but then for there's me, also
1: the but then there's the experience of the person the human, right? There there is the science and maybe you're right. Yeah, I guess they're supposed to put out recommendations. I think they should put recommendations out for other things too that's not whatever. That's a whole other thing. But you're right. For sure, scientific data put out recommendations. That's what you're supposed to do. I agree with you on that. But what ends up happening is not it was just so funny to read the article. Oh, a doctor should talk to the breastfeeding parent in a non-judgmental way. There's literally not one doctor that I talked to in my own experience of breastfeeding. And I went to Basically, all of them, and like a gazillion lactation consultants. There was not one of them that, at least my experience of it, did not feel quite shameful, even because it's such a vulnerable time, right? Postpartum, that it is such a vulnerable moment in learning the skill, as you just said, right? And someone trying to just do it in the way that they can, devoting all the things, all the energy, all the extra funds to all the time. And then to feel like it's not working for whatever the reason is. And there could be a billion reasons why, right? It doesn't really matter, but, it, but it's not. And it's coming almost at a real cost to the human that's doing it, which is my experience, at least. It was. It came at a tremendous cost mental health-wise, which therefore made me not available as a parent to both my children, this happened specifically with my second, my first, it was a little bit of a different experience. But I have to say that that it's great that there's science that backs it, but then there's a lack of, it's it just, it, to me, it feels, it's, it's like laughable. I honestly think it's laughable, because you're right, we don't live in a society that supports it at all. In any way, shape, or form. And then you have the science. It's like, do it for two years. And and for someone's, what do you mean? Doing this for the last like four months has actually killed me. Two years? Are you crazy? That's actually my reaction. So I think there's a real miss on it because I think there's a lot of people like me, not everyone, but a lot of people like me. And and I had all the things, right? I had the the support in place, the extra funds in place to hire people that could come and help to like, I had a lot of the things. So if someone doesn't have that, that, that is like an untenable thing. And then you're just going to feel like a shitty, bad parent. I felt like a bad mom. Even for the year, I felt like a bad mom. I even feel like a bad mom admitting this on this podcast. That's how I feel right now. First of all, I don't, I
0: mean, I just want to say I don't think you're a bad mom. But one is I think the article is different than the American, if you read the American Academy of Pediatrics recommendation, it doesn't say any of the stuff that you just said about like non judgmental, blah, blah, blah. It just says, I'm sure, right?
1: It's so just like a report. You know? The
0: article itself is uh, that's different than the recommendation. I want to say a couple of things. One is I want to say long term breastfeeding, as somebody who did long term breastfeeding almost till two with my kids. All, both my twins and my little guy, I think I have to stop calling him that. He's like basically almost as big as I am. <laughs> like that's a different ball game. it's not you're not tethered in the same way to the nursing as you are because it's supplementary to what you're doing, which is feeding them solid food so it's it, what once you get to a year and they're eating solid as a significant portion of their nutrition it's a, it's a different story so i don't I, I actually don't think it's the same thing and if you look at the recommendation that they make that clear. It's still supplemental at the, at the end. And I think just because doctors and other folks don't know how to help people do this, we should just disregard the benefits that it gives babies. In other words, like there is clear beneficial things for our children to be fed human milk. And I just don't know why we're not doubling down on that and saying, like, we should create systems of support for that as opposed to saying, don't give me an unrealistic expectation of what's best for my child because we wouldn't we don't say that about other things like if someone tells us what's best for your i don't know neuroatypical child or your divergent child in some way is x and it requires a lot of money time and energy whatever the x is we would all including me and you both would go to the ends of the earth to make that happen because that is what is best for our child's mental and physical well-being and i am saying to you that i think like It is clear that that is what is best. So what we should be doing is trying to create systems where physicians and nurses and partners and workplaces and all of the things that are failing us to allow us to do this in a way that is not, as you noted, that doesn't make people feel shameful, but allows them to succeed at this and give their families this benefit. I just, like, that is my goal in all of this. And I think you're right. I don't disagree with you that that's not happening but I don't think the American Academy of Pediatrics is at fault for that. I think we're at fault for that. It's the same way that we're at fault for allowing sugar to be all over the aisles or to not advocating for what we know to be true about the health of our society.
1: But this is something that pediatricians will go into versus the soda stuff will not necessarily go into on the regular versus the screens will not. Maybe they will a little bit, but not really versus also like car seats, meaning we know that it's better for kids to be in a harness car seat for much longer than the recommendation is. So that's I think that it's actually not true. I think that there's a lot of things that we know that are better and have been proven to be better and we don't actually sit people down to the pediatrician and tell them that really
0: that has not been my experience my pediatrician asks my asks me and my children about sugar intake she asks me and my children about the car seat all of those things are things that they that that are talked about for sure definitely still having that but culturally
1: speaking it's something that is very different the breastfeeding thing feels very different than any of those other topics they feel less charged i think people make decisions and there's not judgment okay you're gonna put your kid in a booster, it's fine okay your kid has soda it's fine okay your kid is on the ipad however many hours a day it's just life oh, you're giving your kid formula at six months. Whoa. I have had the total opposite
0: experience. You're still nursing your kid? Why are you still nursing him? Why why are you doing that? Why don't you just give them a bottle? Why doesn't your baby take milk in a bottle?
1: Eliana knows this. Eliana knows this, but people don't know this. I am all for creating systems to make breastfeeding as tenable as possible just to be very clear i'm like breastfeed wherever you want please how can i help support you in this moment to make it so that it works i'm not against it i just have a problem with us being in a society that's like yeah do it for two years and not consider the mental health ramifications that is placed on the breastfeeding parent that is the problem maybe it's okay to say it's recommended to say it's hey try to do this as long as possible this is really challenging If your mental health is not working, then let's figure something else out. I think that that needs to be part of the conversation. Maybe not in the very early, I don't know, but like it needs to be part of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I just think like, it's not that they are separate things, but like the mental health of mothers should be of a concern. But I don't think that should negate there being a recommendation for what we know to be good for babies.
1: But how it trickles down is really problematic. I, that's my experience, and it's many, many people's experience that I've talked to. It's it can be really problematic. It's very lonely. It's very isolating. It's very shameful and shaming. It's a really big problem. I'm, I I agree. I think yes. Like they should recommend what they're supposed to recommend, and again, I will do everything in my power. Right now I have a friend, like really working really hard to like be a cheerleader for them to figure out a way to breastfeed in a way that really works for them. Because I do think it is important based on the science and also like for lots of reasons. And also I hold the other place, which is like, and also like take care of what you need to take care of in order to be a parent. And I think that's not part of the conversation, I don't think so.
0: I just think it's a separate, to me, it's a separate conversation. Like mental health well-being of mothers is a significant concern. Heart stop. It is nothing, the breastfeeding is only a symptom of the larger problem. Women, postpartum women, have major mental health issues as a consequence of many hormonal changes that are happening in their body and a society that doesn't support women in a postpartum way, in a holistic way, in a whole approach. I don't disagree with that. And- Mm -hmm. I don't think it should affect abs- at all what we know to be medically indicated behaviors. It would be like saying you get treatment for breast cancer with chemotherapy, except if it affects your mental health. Like, it, 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 of course it's going to affect your mental health. It's a difficult and complicated thing. It is hard to nurse a baby, hard stop. It requires a lot of energy, requires a lot of effort, well already, a lot of support, all of those things, none of which our society supports in any way, shape or form. And I think that we have done a disservice to, our children's physical health and well-being by not finding ways to support it more often. And of course, like I want women to feel supported. And if you're struggling, like, obviously people with postpartum depression who cannot do this and also parent, of course, like I don't think that every woman is going to be able to nurse. Hard stop, for sure. But I think ultimately like the role of science is to tell us what is best for our bodies. And this is, to me, the data is clear on this. And so- Like I I don't know why we would expect anything else from a scientific organization about this. It it doesn't mean that the American Academy of Pediatrics doesn't mean to make a statement on women's health, though they're not in charge of women, they're in charge of babies. So it would be more like the Society for OBGYN, their body would be the people that would be worried about this. But their job as the American Academy of Pediatrics is care of the child, and it is clear on issues of all sorts of things, asthma, allergy, cancer, diabetes, obesity, all of this that, that, that breastfeeding is a mechanism by which we can diminish our risk in those areas. And I don't know why that's a problem to say that because that is accurate information. It doesn't mean I don't empathize that like there are times and people who simply cannot do this because their mental health or physical, frankly, doesn't allow for it. That is true. But that is for many people, not the reason they don't breastfeed for many, 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 many people. And I just think like
1: you really don't think that mental health is a primary reason that people don't. I, the physical health thing, I think, is more not maybe not more rare, but like probably not as common. But you really don't think
0: the language I experience in most people is like, oh, I don't want to do that. It's too like sexual. You know, my husband or partner wants my boobs back. You know, all all sorts of things who like that. Who says
1: that? Who are you talking Who are you hanging out
0: with? I could name at least twelve to. 15 people that I know in my circle who don't want to nurse for that reason. I think it's like one in hundred of people that start have like they're taking medication because of mental health stuff, they can't nurse, or they physic they go through a postpartum depression and can't nurse as a consequence or postpartum blues or on any level of the spectrum of the postpartum mental health issues, then they can't nurse and find nursing incredibly depleting of their mental health status. But that I do not think I think society doesn't by and large support it. And that is why people don't nurse. Nobody talks about the benefits. Nobody does prenatal breastfeeding education. I,
1: I think you need to move to LA. I mean, I think it's like literally where you live. I can't move there because nobody, you tell me nobody vaccinates their children. That's not true. People vaccinate. Maybe not in Orange County. I was making a joke. <laughs> Maybe not in Orange County. No, no, in, no.
0: Brentwood is the lowest rates of vaccination of any neighborhood in the country, I think, actually.
1: For COVID vaccine or for everything? Everything. Whoa, that is shockingly... It's shocking to me and scary. Um, I, I don't want to say, it. I, I, <laughs> I haven't
0: checked that data, so I shouldn't probably say it on here, but I, I, I'm I, 90% sure that it was on the top of the list. Whoa,
1: that is really scary to me, if I'm being really honest. Wow, because like everyone, at least anecdotally in my world, everyone's vaccinated as far as I know. Um, Like all the schools that we go to are all required and camps, et cetera. And then also people for the most part are very, very stressed out trying to, f- either not stressed out because it works, for them for various reasons or extremely stressed out trying to figure out how they can breastfeed for as for however long they can breastfeed. That is the people that I, I know and the ones where it does not work. And for me, like I was able to do it with Evie for eight months and I was really proud of myself because it was really, really, really extremely challenging for me. And for Nora, it just, I mean, I guess we made it, what, like four or five months, five months, maybe. But it was at like the biggest cost ever. The biggest cost to your mental health. And physical health, both. Yeah. I I had tremendous issues. Chronic mastitis that resulted in abscesses. Couldn't get rid of the infection. I went to, I'm telling you, I went to everywhere. And then mental health as well. And with EV, it was really harder on my mental health as well, but physical health was okay. So I was able to sort of navigate it, you know, and yeah. I had one yeah. and I had a supportive partner and supportive parents that came up. Like I just, there was a lot of support to make it happen, Yeah. but with having a toddler and a baby and physical, real physical challenges that were, I mean, I think of that time and I feel very lucky to be alive. Today, yeah, I really do, and I just honestly, I just feel really sad that I wasn't able to do it for her, and I feel very, and I feel that, and I, and I know that the many women that I've talked to, because those are the ones that I've talked to, I'm sure there are others as well that are in similar situations, mental health or physical health. It is, it is such a pain. I think our society misses that. And I think even when it works, if I'm being really honest, even if it did really work easily for me, I imagine for me, I still would, I would have done it because that's what I would have done. Because as you said, we're going to do what we can to make, make everything work for our children, right? Like that's just who you and I are, right? Like we're just going to do what we can. So if, even if it had worked for me, it would have been and felt I imagine still like a very constraining ask because if you're someone that also wants to build a big career it is kind of really hard to do when you're breastfeeding it just is yeah there's some people that can multitask and do a lot at once there are people and I think you're one of them Eliana you're really good at it but for some of us we're not right so like what do you do with that and And then I think that actually puts primarily women like outside of outside of the workforce again. And right. And here we are going back to the conversation that we have over and over again. And so I just think that is the society we live in. So if women are living in that society, we have to make decisions, even if they're not 100 percent the best decisions, right? Even if it's working breastfeeding-wise, maybe it's not working enough so that you can do all the things. Go to the meetings at night that you need to go to, go to the things during the day that you need to go to. Like It's kind of hard to do that if you're breastfeeding. That's really hard. I just like one of my best friends, breastfed until a year and a half for two years. We would have like a date once every six weeks to meet and consistently it would be changed. She would just be like, I'm really sorry. I like have to change it. Like wasn't able to breastfeed earlier today. Have to do it at night. Let's make a change. I don't, blame her at all. I'm like, sure, I'll bring takeout. I'll come to you or we'll change it. Right. I'm going to make it work for her, of course. But the point is is she couldn't go out to dinner with, right? Like that is a, that is the, that is the point. Do you see what I'm saying? That is a yeah, thing. Yeah.
0: I, I think, I think every, I, I think life is a series of choices. We always have to give something up. Like, I, And on that part, like, I think we just fundamentally disagree because I think it's worth giving up whatever career trajectory or taking a side route, which is what I did in order to do this. But I think for many, many people, you're right. That is not a choice they want to make. And that is okay. Everybody has that choice. But again, to me, that's a different question than what you're talking about in your own experience. In your own experience, you're talking about you were in severe, what sounds like severe mental health crisis. That is different. I don't think most people, the majority of women I know in my experience are not in a severe mental health crisis. I think for people in a severe mental health crisis, it's a completely different conversation. Obviously, life is the most important thing, and someone staying alive and being able to care for the child is the number one most important thing. But for people who are not suffering from the mental health crisis, everything is a choice, to be sure. And it does mean, I think, a complex set of decision-making around career when you believe that nursing is, and you are capable of doing it, when you believe it is the most important thing. And I definitely sacrificed for a period of time when I was nursing both sets of kids, Or one set and then one singleton, I definitely, it was a juggle. I definitely had a lot of, it was a lot of work and my children did not take pot milk from a bottle. So I had the added, like literally not able to do anything, but I didn't feel the sense of like, woe is me. That was not my experience of it. My experience of it was, this is really hard. This is really exhausting and this is really worth it. That is what I felt in the end of it. I still feel that way. And I have about, I don't know, 36 months total of nursing under my belt. And it, the commitment felt worth it to me. And again, I just want to be clear. I am so sorry that you went through what you did. It, it was clearly for you something that was a terrible trauma physically and emotionally. And I would never suggest to somebody to go through it for, for this purpose. Obviously, like, I really do not believe that. And also, I really think it's like, it's perfectly sort of feels to me like to be a moral value to say if you are able to do it and it does not affect your mental health to say like i'm giving up on dinners out for 18 months or i'm i'm taking and i obviously like i didn't have to i'm not the primary breadwinner so we needed my income but like i i could i could take a hiatus and it was a lot of work i did do a lot of crazy things like I would run and go teach, and then I would come home at night and I would have to nurse like the minute I walked in the door. I did leave them with a babysitter who like basically couldn't feed them all day because they just would not take milk from a bottle. And then I would come home and nurse them. Like I definitely made sacrifices to be sure. But for me, those things were worth it. And a big part of why they were worth it was because and I did not, I just want to also be clear about my own experience, and we do have to conclude, but I did not find breastfeeding to be some sort of spiritual experience. Like a lot of people talk about it like, oh, it's so meaningful and it's so intimate and I, that was not my experience of it. I didn't find pregnancy or breastfeeding that way. For me, it was about efficacy. Like I really believe that it's the best option for physical well-being of my children. And I wanted to try to provide that with them. It worked. By the way, I just want to give credit where credit is due. Probably why I didn't go through what many women go through is because I had my mom. And she's an expert in this. And people will often say to me, like, twins, are you freaking crazy? Why are you even trying? And like the reason I was successful was because I had somebody literally living essentially in my apartment helping me. And I don't just mean with the breastfeeding, I mean just helping me as a person survive that time after birth. So for me, like that is worth it. But I I, I hear you, like there are people that can't do it for mental and physical health reasons. But to me that the recommendation doesn't read, if you look at the actual recommendation, it doesn't, it doesn't read in the harsh way that you read it. I, I don't, I don't read it that way. I'm not saying I'm right and you're wrong. I'm just saying I read it in a very different way when I looked at it. And, you know, I support that sort of recommendation from the AAP. I do. I wish society was different. As you said, this is a conversation. This is part of a larger conversation that we keep having, which is society doesn't do anything to support women and the complicated nature of particularly moms and the number of things that we have to juggle and balance is is wholly systemically unfair and this is another example of that i think
1: yeah i didn't even get into like the funny stories of literally pumping and driving to school and then being late to class and then getting docked for being late. I'm like, I literally just pumped and dro- drove, cleaned <laughs> my pump and made sure I didn't have chafing on my nipples and that I didn't get that oil on my shirt. And I'm five minutes late. I think I'm winning right now that I actually did it. Thanks for docking me, you know? Yeah. I mean, really, or like finding little corners at AJU to pump and I mean, it was just a ridiculous situation. Yeah, I think we all have
0: those stories. So maybe another time we'll 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 do breastfeeding. We can make it more light ridiculous fun. breastfeeding stories. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to teach a very short bit of Torah because I just sensitive yes. of time. Um, when this podcast drops, we're going to be in the cycle Tova of the special like Sabbath readings that happened before between the holiday of Purim, what we sort of is festival celebrating the story of the Book of Esther and Passover. Um, And the one that's going to be on the heels of this podcast is called Shabbat Zachor, or the Sabbath of memory. And it's this very important day in the Jewish calendar where it's obligated to hear this passage from the Torah, which teaches that we shouldn't, we should always remember a group called Amalek and never forget, and never forget them. And there's a lot of dispute about why, but the predominant view um, in the tradition is that Amalek was a group of people that went after the Israelites in the desert and their most vulnerable part of the journey and in their most vulnerable part of the population, the back of the camp, as it were. The people that are on the outside, on the outskirts of society, the people that need the community to support them. And that what the Torah is commanding when it says, never forget, is to remember that there are always going to be people who seek to harm the vulnerable and our job is to not forget it. I want to talk less about that and more about memory. In Jonathan Saffron Foyer's book, Everything is Illuminated, he writes Jews have six senses touch, taste, sight, smell, hearing, and memory. For Jews, memory is no less a primary than the prick of a pin or its silver glimmer or the taste of blood it pulls from the finger. The Jew is pricked by a pin and remembers other pins. It is only by tracing the pin prick back to other pin pricks when his mother, tried to fix his sleeve while his arm was still in it, when his grandfather's fingers fell asleep from stroking his great-grandfather's damp forehead, when Abraham tested the knife point to be sure Isaac would feel no pain, that the Jew is able to know. When a Jew encounters a pin, he asks, what does it remember like? This notion of memory, which sits in my mind, in the heart of like what it means actually to live as a Jew in the world, is also supported by the data, as it were. The data being... The number of times it appears in the Hebrew Bible, in the Tanakh, according to a book called Zachor or Jewish History and Jewish Memory by Yosef Chaim Yerushalmi, he says the root for memory appears 169 times in the Tanakh. And I think something that like really strikes me when I think about Judaism is our insistence on remembering things and not forgetting them. And that it is built into a commandment suggests to me that Judaism is trying to cultivate in us the spiritual discipline of memory as a guidepost for the way in which we want to live our lives. Because what you do when you remember is you make a choice about what to focus on in your life. So when we remember this Shabbat, this group of people that harmed the vulnerable, we are making a clear and present value choice. It's not just about the memory. It's about the memory of the action of the person that did the harmful thing in society. And in so doing, we instruct ourselves of the value to care for the vulnerable. And I love this about Judaism because I think it's like, it commands us to do these very simple human things. Love, remember, be joyful, all of the things like these human emotions, these human actions that we do. And it says, take those and elevate them to something sacred. In this case, t- take the memory and make the world better. Blot out people that try to harm the vulnerable and be a source of comfort for the vulnerable and a source of hope for them too. And in this way, memory becomes an actual mitzvah, a commandment, a spiritual technology that we can use to live out our values.
1: Hmm. And that's all I got. That's beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. All right, listeners, you know the drill. Please follow us at Not Your Jewish Mother Pod. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple. Leave us a five-star review. Really, really does help. Um, we are wishing you a couple of weeks filled with courage, hope, and love. Take good care.